Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 13 of Retro Hangover. Chris Copeland, and we are coming over to you over the sweet, sweet megabits and kilobits from the streaming service of your choice. I'm here, back in black, <laughs> and proudly yeah. pitching a podcast with very varying video game garbage for your amusement. Well, not garbage, it's good stuff. And I am joined, as always, by sensational Shane Koski with cats. In France, that's garbage. Garbage. It's where you can find, you know, that's where you look for the cheap video games is in the garbage. You always look there first because they always cost nothing. That is very true. So we, we, we're back after another two weeks. Uh, hopefully this is going to stabilize. I'm looking at my future schedule, which is going to be changing up. It's probably going to be a little more consistent. And uh, happy to be back. Happy to get regular somewhat, hopefully. Mm fiber in your diet that's that's what it does man lots that's of how fiber. it works although you know the funny thing is is your schedule is about to normalize and, and mine's about to go all wonky hooray so that's that's perfect timing <laughs> of course yeah it's good stuff but uh i i take it you are you're feeling better you've successfully defeated the plague night and you are you are alive to tell oh, the tale man um yeah that was uh that was bad uh last week i got i think i was uh mowing my lawn and uh, I got done, and all of a sudden, my stomach just decided to disagree with me and say, everything must exit now. And um, it did. And uh, I felt bad for probably the next uh, 24 hours. But it was it was a quick little flu bug, and it got out. But I really couldn't do much of anything. Hmm. That's weird. That must be going around, actually, uh, because uh, a group of us actually just went down to Halloween Horror Nights this past Friday at, at Universal. And... Um, one of our one of our crew ended up basically feeling like trash uh, the next day, and surprisingly, it had nothing to do with the alcohol, <laughs> uh, and had everything to do with the fact that they um, were kind of feeling the same way. I really didn't want to eat anything, and they were taking up residency in the hotel bathroom, which was fun. And so it felt bad for them. Kind of like I wouldn't say ruined, but kind of put a damper on like the. The whole excursion, at least for them, is sort of unfortunate. But I mean, overall, it was a good time. Yeah, except for the the, the continuous shitting and vomiting. Yes, yes, there there is that. <laughs> that that tends to put a put a wrench in plans. But but us. But it aside from that, it was great. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So so what have you been up to? A condensed two two week version. Yeah, yeah, it has been two weeks. Uh, what have I been doing? Well, I mean, apart from apart from that, like I said, we did that, um, which was cool. I haven't been to Horror Nights in a couple of years, and uh, it was a good time. Um, some of the new houses were pretty cool. I would say my favorite one was the um, 
Asylum in Wonderland. That sounds uh, badass. Yeah, it was really cool. And the nice thing about it, which kind of sets it apart from all the other scare houses that they've got there, is uh, it's in 3D. So you have 3D glasses that you get handed when you walk in. And they have um, certain areas within the house have like 3D projections and stuff. And then like the entire house and like all the monsters and the actors and everything that are in there are all done up in these crazy like neon technicolor colors. So that mixed with strobe and a bunch of like colored lights and everything seriously makes you it's it's like doing acid without like the actual acid. What is doing acid like? I do not have this experience. I mean, we'll go into that at another time. But suffice it to say <laughs> that uh, it was it was really well done, and it's sort of like where a lot of the houses are just like, here's a theme, and we're gonna kind of scare you with some shit or whatever. Um, this one actually had kind of like a running almost story, like as you walked through the house, like it. You walk through a bunch of, like, the Wonderland stuff, and then, like, once you get to the end, you see, like, the asylum and, like, that Alice is, like, in the asylum and everything that you had just walked through was, like, basically her crazy fever dream. And um, it was cool. It was very cool. So that one was definitely my favorite. Um, apart from that, more into, like, the, you know, the the bread and butter of, of, our, of our discussion and everything as far as video games go. Uh, there's always the mobile stuff that never really changes. I did start playing like a new one called, I think it's like Blades of Brim. It's it's an endless runner, but it's really well done. So it kind of sets itself apart from the thousand other endless runner games that are on mobile right now. So I've been kind of uh, having fun with that one. And then there's always the usual suspects like Record Keeper and Marvel Future Fight and stuff like that. Um, as far as real games if you want to call it that. <laughs> yes. The games that look down upon yeah, the mobile. Um, still been chipping away at uh, Lego Marvel. That one's going to take a very long time. Yes, uh, it will. Been Well, actually, this weekend, I've been trying to get some time in on Diablo 3 again because they're doing a bonus weekend where you get uh, double rewards for adventure mode bounty caches and stuff. So, been... Uh, grinding away at that so that's been fun uh other than that honestly not a whole lot um it's actually been kind of a slow couple of weeks i'm almost at the end of uh, wolfenstein the new order so I'm, I'm wrapping that one up but other than that that's that about does it i think what about you you got got anything new and exciting well like i said uh uh the whole entire promotion thing is is over which is good uh that was it's certainly a relief in many aspects. It's, it's going to be irritating in many others, but for the time being, I'm trying to enjoy it. Uh, try going to Arcade Jacks. Actually, we had a little work party, and that, that requires me getting dressed up in my work stuff. And like I, for those who haven't noticed, I don't like talking about what I do for my job, uh, just because I like to keep that separate. And I'm going to keep, that, keep it that way to the best of my ability, but those who know me know what I do. Uh, but when in my work stuff to arcade jacks and that was extremely awkward i walked to the door i went up with a friend of mine and our wives i think we got some of the like most uncomfortable looks i've gotten (laughs) my entire time in this in this field it's it definitely wasn't very inviting i had one person as soon as i walk in the door look at us like we are crazy 
Uh, so we, we did a quick turn two and got out of there. That was actually pretty upsetting. Josh was awesome about it as usual. Uh, I'm not saying everyone in there looked at us like that, but there was definitely an air of, uh, get the fuck out that was present in there. And we, we did just that because we wanted to have a time. That is, that is really strange to me, especially with the area that we live in. I mean, this is, this is a heavily, well, I won't go into it, but suffice to say that this area is used to that sort of thing. So it's sort of weird that you would like get the kind of like stank eye walking in someplace. But, um, but no, I mean, that's, that sucks, man. But I mean, it's good to know that, you know, there are definitely still some, some chill folks there that, uh, handled Mm -hmm. things appropriately. So, so that's good. You actually like kind of, I wouldn't say just missed me, but, um, you showed up there after I had already left. Um, mm-hmm. I went early, which, uh, I mean, I don't, I honestly, I don't know why, like any sort of like club type thing, you probably shouldn't go early because not a lot of people are there yet. No. But, uh, we, there was like four of us that went, I think, and we kind of showed up and hung out for a little while and said, Hey, and played some smash and some Mario Kart, And then, um, then we, we ended up bouncing and went to, went to Riverside and hit up a few other places there. And, and then you showed up after us. So, so any, any gaming that's been going on or actually, yes, Ooh, I, exciting. I uh, picked up final fantasy five yesterday. I actually finished it. I went, I started the last dungeon and I finished it all the way through. It was the first, I picked it up yesterday and it was the first time I had touched it in over six weeks mm-hmm. and I just ran through it and, uh, took care of that. And, um, yeah, I found out that that game is hilariously exploitable. <laughs> it seems the entire purpose of it is, you know how there's a job system? Mm-hmm. It seems like the job system is there to handicap you until you get to the end of the game and you can fully utilize everything and put everything together and be ridiculously powerful. And I think the final boss, it was just, it was such a pushover. I had one character pretty much doing... They could take six actions in one turn. I got to that point where I expl- I broke the game that badly. Holy shit! And it, yeah, I think it was over. the The final boss is over in like four turns. That was it. So <laughs> I, I kind of laughed at the end of it because, like, I cannot believe I just did this. It was stupid. It was it was stupendous what I did. But uh, yeah, Final Fantasy V, definitely a game that very good. Go back, look at it. It's it's definitely a game that want you to exploit it not that you kind of accidentally fall and exploit like final fantasy tactics did with the calculator no it, it like, intends you to they want you to exploit final fantasy 5 everything's a gimmick in that so there's that um played the stanley parable i guess that game's been out over two years almost three years now yeah it's uh, been a while fi- yeah i got i got to it because it was in a bundle uh i loved it i absolutely loved it i think it was the first time i've played a game where I get that feeling of awe and and kind of glee and giddiness mm-hmm. out of it uh, that I've gotten since uh, Shadow of the Colossus when I first played that and realized what kind of game it was. Uh, there's you know of course we both play games we both get those emotional experiences out of video games of course sure but it was more of the oh this I see what this game is doing <laughs> and it's it's really freaking cool. Uh, my wife played it and I could tell, and you've played the Stanley Purple, right? Yeah. 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 So like, I think it was good for me because when I played it, I played it a certain way that made me say, okay, what the fuck? 
and my wife played it. And as soon as I saw the way that she was playing it, I knew like, oh, she's not going to like this game. She's not going to get it. Uh, she's, she's not going to understand it. And I think you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Because if you play the game a certain way right off the bat, you're going to get done. You'll be like, that was it. But if you play the game the game the way the game wants you to play it, you're going to go back and you're going to play it again. And if you don't play it that way, you're not going to appreciate it as much. My six-year-old hopped on it and he actually, he watched my wife play it the first time through. And then he came up to me and was like, what do I do? There's two doors. And (laughs) I'm like, do what you want to do. And he says, but I'm nervous. I'm like, that's part of the brilliance of it. Um, It's true. So that uh, phenomenal, fantastic game. I started playing Rayman uh, Legends on the Wii U. Ah, nice. Very good game. Uh, Having a lot of fun with that. And I played Gone Home today, which is meh. (laughs) See, this is funny because, like, I think maybe it depends on the tone of the game. Because, I mean, for all intents and purposes, Stanley Parable is basically just a walking simulator, right? And Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, at its core, it is. I mean, it's much more than that, but it's because of what they've like layered on top of it. But like at its core, that's really what it is. And things like Gone Home and stuff are a little more dramatic, I guess. Like it's not it's not engaging in that like quirky sort of same way that Stanley Parable is. I will say Gone Home is better than Dear Esther. I'll give it that. Mm-hmm. It has more interactive uh, things that you can do, and it's it's better in that aspect. Uh, there's things you have to figure out. There's 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 deciphering you can do, and you can kind of understand what's going on. You can pick put the pieces together, but it's still really it came off flat when I'm going through this. I'm like, oh, okay, so this is what's going on in this house, and this is what this person is doing, and this is what's going on with this character. But I don't care. <laughs> I, I just I and. and the one thing I did find was really interesting is said in 1995, because if it happened like in a modern day setting, I think a lot more people would be like, why is this even an issue? But if you grew up in the 90s and you took a lot of the things that were going on and gone home, it's, it's actually pretty cool uh, when you really think about, oh, OK, that's why it's said in this time period. But at the same time, it came off flat because I really didn't care about any of the characters because you're walking around an empty house and it was just kind of mute. But the Stanley Parable, because it is so rife with irony and so based off choice, and I think that might even saying that might be spoiling it, and that's a game you cannot spoil. Uh, it's just so it plays mind games with you. Gone Home doesn't play mind games with you, and I love the fact that a game was is is actually toying with you the way that the Stanley Parable can. Mm-hmm. I found that absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, no, definitely. So. Am I to assume then that what you're saying was that when your when your wife played through it, she was basically just like, "I'm going to make all the correct quote unquote decisions and get to the end and not like really explore the choices at all." Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think I think you just said too much about that game too. I'm, no, uh, that's no, what, no, no, maybe no, no. it's old. It's it's an old. I game, mean, so. yeah. There's got to be a like a statute of limitations for spoilers. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I, no, I won't say anything specific. But just suffice it to say that that game, you're right, is very is based very heavily on the choices that you make or what the expect what you think the expectation is. That's well, that's all say, I'll say. Yeah, my wife got the quote true unquote ending mm-hmm. the first time she went through that's like uh that's like basically doing like uh far cry 4 where you just 
sit there when he tells you to sit there and then he comes back and he's like oh okay cool and the game's over really oh you didn't know that i haven't played that game so yeah no and this is not a spoiler because everybody on the internet knows this now but like yeah they actually coded it in that um i for the life of me i can't remember the guy's name now but the the central like antagonist of, of far cry 4 like you meet up with him at the beginning of the game and uh, and your your whole th- reason, I guess, that you're there, because I haven't had a chance to actually play the game yet, is that um, you're, like, bringing your mother, I believe, her, your mother's ashes or something to this island. Like, that's why you're there. And the antagonist of the game is just like, oh, yeah, no, sit here. I'll be right back. And then we'll I'll help you go, you know, take care of your mom's ashes and blah, blah, blah. So he leaves and like you hear him basically like torturing some dude in another room and like 99% of gamers, as soon as that dude leaves, they're just going to get up from that room and start exploring and run off. And if you do that, then he does You set into motion. You, the game. Yeah, you set the entire game into motion by doing that. But if you actually just sit there and do, and do what he told you to do, he'll come back in the room and be like, all right, let's go do it. And then you go and take care of your mom's ashes and he's fucking game over. <laughs> That's it. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. But yeah, Stanley Parable wouldn't recommend people buying it for what? Like the $15 price tag they're asking for it? Would not recommend that. But if you can get it as part of a bundle or a Steam sale, and it's like under $4, yeah, check it out. Definitely. Most definitely. Yeah, it's it's definitely an experience. Um, it, it's something that I would suggest any any gamer do at least once. Probably more than once, because that game sort of yeah. begs to be replayed. Yes, that is if I'm, like, the only person affiliated with this podcast listening or making that hasn't played it yet. <laughs> I was assuming that. But we have plenty of news to unpack. We've been gone for two weeks, so hopefully there's enough out there. There's there's big news, not a lot of news, but enough, to that we'll talk about. And we're going to roll into our segment of What is on Tap? So uh, first up on tap this week, um, sort of condensing everything from the time that we've been gone into only the most important stories, um, which is that we can find or care about. (laughs) Yeah, that is purely subjective. Nintendo has named their new president, and it's probably not who you thought it would be. Yes. Do you need me to pronounce it? Are you you good with it? I'm going to go with Tatsumi Kimishima. Yeah, close enough. I think that works. Yeah, it works. Um, he is a 65-year-old former banker, and he was one-time head of Nintendo of America. Um, he's going to be replacing Satoru Iwata. And this, uh, as I had mentioned, is somewhat surprising, I think, to some people who were convinced that uh, that Miyamoto or, or someone like that and the more creative uh, branch of the company was going to step up. But... I'm going to say right off the bat that from a from a purely business perspective, I think this really makes the most sense. This was, this was the right decision. I mm-hmm. uh, don't know if there's more right decisions. I think when you put everything together, uh, this is someone from within the company. And this is someone who, if you look at his track record, he is very business oriented with his positions, like president of the Pokemon Company, uh, president of Nintendo of America. Uh, he's he's had a lot of positions in the past within the 
uh, Nintendo atmosphere, uh, stratosphere, sorry, or whatever. F- fuck it. He's been had a lot of positions in Nintendo. <laughs> he's uh, been around. To, he's been around. He's he's made quite a bit of uh, impacts within the company. He's been very successful. Um, you just haven't heard a lot about him because he's really doing the business kind of things. And when people wanted Shigeru Miyamoto uh, to be the president of Nintendo, I think that was more wishful thinking. I think that was people saying, "These, this is the face of Nintendo I know. They should just go with that. It makes sense. But we don't know. I mean, look at a lot of uh, Miyamoto's business decisions that he's made over the years. Mm-hmm. They've been kind of, eh, uh, haven't been that. When you really, like, if you think about how he, kind of treated rare properties whenever they come to Nintendo with stuff and you say, oh no, uh, this needs Star Fox or this needs my guys in there. And yeah, I, I don't, I couldn't see Miyamoto. I would see Miyamoto leading the, uh, the future Nintendo down a line where, yeah, they continue to have cool creative stuff, probably like the Wii U and the Wii and all that happy Nintendo kind of culture. But Nintendo as a brand itself would probably suffer for it. I think this was smarter. No, absolutely. And it's really just a matter of putting the right people in the right places. Um, as much as everybody, you know, loves, loves Miyamoto and, and everything. Um, it's, it's just not the right spot for him. I don't think that's where he's going to shine. And I think this is a sound decision. Uh, as far as where like Miyamoto and uh, like Takeda, for example, uh, the two of them are going to be, they, according to Nintendo, are going to be fellows. Uh, Miyamoto is a creative fellow and Takeda is going to be a technology fellow, which, as defined by them, is essentially an individual selected from the representative directors who has advanced knowledge and extensive experience and holds the role of providing advice and guidance regarding organizational operations Mm -hmm. in a specialized area. So they're essentially going to be the advisors to uh, the president, which much like George Lucas, I think is the best place for them. Yes. He, I just I want to see if he's going to do Nintendo Directs because he just has this very serious demeanor about himself. I haven't seen anything where he's like really smiling or having a good time. I think a Nintendo Direct with him in it would be absolutely hilarious. <laughs> well, yes. For all we know, like he could just like play play the straight man like versus you know like Miyamoto's crazy persona, and it would probably work out really well. I want to see him dress up as a cat. <laughs> I mean, it could it could happen. <laughs> could you imagine this guy? He just looks like he's about to like he, he's making diamonds in his ass with coals. <laughs> I, Put him in a goddamn cat suit. Just as long, <laughs> just as long as he maintains that like super serious business like perspective throughout the entire thing and doesn't actually like acknowledge that he is in a cat suit. That's that's going to be gold. I think it would be. Um, an interesting tidbit about this. Uh, it was in a. Some news stories I saw is he actually, the new president, uh, Kimishima, thought that the Wii U was going to be a failure for Nintendo before it was released. Hmm. Imagine that. Technically. He projected that. It is. As much as I like my Wii U, technically speaking, it is kind of a I bomb, but. I don't even think you can use the word technically. I think it, it's just a full out flop. <laughs> well, that might that might be some personal bias working into it because I, as I have said a couple times in the past, I I actually do like my Wii U. Oh, well, that's like saying the Saturn wasn't a failure. Hmm. Mm, that's true. That's true. Because I love my Saturn. <laughs> that thing was that thing landed like a fucking brick. <laughs> that was awful. A lead balloon. Uh, 
Led Zeppelin. <laughs> Your music reference for the week. But that's as far as Nintendo goes. Now, Nintendo's making plenty of AAA titles that we can talk about. But you know who isn't? Konami. Fuck Fuck. Konami. Konami. Fuck them. At least they're saying they're going to still make AAA titles. They're not. But they're, they they won't. Because I can't I can't think of a single AAA title that these guys are making. Can you? No, I, <clears throat> I, I can't. I can't see them making another AAA title after this. And at this point, the reports that are coming out really need to be they, – they they're accurate. There's no way they can't be. I mean, the, the direction that Konami's been going so far all points to that this is exactly what they're going to do. I mean, MGS5 is, for all intents and purposes, the last major title you're going to see out of Konami. And as far as we know, all of the excellent IPs that they are holding fucking hostage, like MGS and Castlevania and Silent Hill, are going to probably either... There there are two things that will most likely happen here. One is that they're going to get farmed out to shitty developers who are going to continue making shitty versions of games that we don't care about and continually besmirching the names of these IPs that we've loved for so long. And two, they're just going to get slapped on pachinko machines so that you can pull the lever. Pull the lever! And Konami can make their quick greasy buck off of their fucking gambling machines and at best we might see some like mediocre mobile titles coming out with these ips kind of like slapped over the top of whatever like free-to-play model they want to try to screw people over yeah yeah pretty much yeah like I, I see nothing good coming out of this. Uh, I think they did miss the memo because I, I can't see any AAA games coming out of Konami for the foreseeable future. Uh, they may have said that they're going to make um, what they would classify as AAA mobile games, uh, maybe some AAA pachinko machines. <laughs> uh, that that's probably in the cards. And uh, just kind of a side note uh, here too: you you've seen the news about what they're doing on Steam with the Pro Evolution <laughs> Soccer game. Oh, what a clusterfuck that is! <laughs> I give uh, credit to Jim Sterling of uh, the Jimquisition mm-hmm. uh, for this, but he pointed out Pro Evolution Soccer for the PC version. They're showing pictures of PS4 and Xbox One screens and uh, Steam previews. But then when the game came out, it was the 360 and PS3 game. So it started getting bad reviews. And <laughs> instead of fixing the issue or saying something to the fans, they made it part of a bundle, a bundle that has one game. So you can't see the review scores. So fucking shady. I. It's like they don't even care anymore. Like they're not even trying to hide it. Uh, now, when this news came out, uh, a lot of the reaction about them not making AAA games is you heard all these sullen commentators saying, "Oh, this is the end of an era, and Konami is going away, and it's so unfortunate." Uh, I remember the good old days of Konami, and this, uh, I think it might just be people coming to terms, and I think there's something that you and me have come to terms with Konami a while ago, at least I have, mm-hmm. is they haven't done fuck all in, like, ten years. No. No. Well, that's what I was saying. Like, all all of their titles, with the exception of MGS, have yeah. essentially either been farmed out to third-party developers who don't even understand the core mm-hmm. concept of the IP or they've just been incredibly mediocre titles that Konami have like pushed out the door. Or the exception of the first Lords of Shadow, which was okay, Castlevania. Um, uh, yeah, it was. It, it was, was okay. All right. If you just didn't want it to be a Castlevania game, but um, yeah, because that's not important. 
No, the, but it had just had it, it was a God of War with Castlevania fan service. But um, you know, yeah, the, it is it is sad uh, that we're not going to see a lot of these properties. But a lot of these properties today couldn't make it as AAA games. I mean, this is including the Hudson, uh, the Hudson series of games, Castlevania. It kind of established itself as what it is as a portable franchise, a Metroidvania, obviously kind of game. Uh, Silent Hill horror games. I mean, that's 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 the tragedy is the Silent Hill series going away. Metal Gear Solid has run its course. Uh, that that ended, and I, I think it kind of needs a break. But you know, look at a lot of other properties. People are saying they're sad to see gone, like Gra- uh, Gradius or uh, the Salamander series, or a lot of the games that you talk about Konami being historically famous for, like Rocket Knight. A lot of those games, Contra, even would be better suited as a digital new kind of games like with way forward what they do with uh, a hardcore uprising on on the digital distribution side of things mm-hmm. uh, that's that's where i would see those properties going they wouldn't translate well at least in their hands to the triple a market so they're saying they're not making triple a games with those franchises i'm not really too upset about it no no I, and you're right i mean i think a, a large part of it is just the nostalgia factor and and at least for me, it's not that Konami is going away. I don't give a shit about them. It's just, like I said, it's the stable of IPs that they have that is sort of like going down with the ship. That's what bothers me. They went down a long time ago, though. Well, you're right. And I guess, as you were saying, we're sort of like coming to terms with that now. Yeah. Um, I, For what it's worth, like I would rather not ever see another Silent Hill game if it meant that we could at least keep like the first three the way that they were and not continue fucking it up. I still think there is a place for Castlevania. And as you mentioned, it really thrives in the handheld space. So I, and I've said this before, I, I would always be on board for like another Metroidvania 2d platformer every like, other year which is blood bloodstained which i'm getting for my wii u survey taken is coming in a year and a half or whatever <laughs> yeah but <laughs> I, I as long as it's like a solid like 2d castlevania i would take those probably till the end of time like i never get tired of those but um as far as the other ones yeah i, th- I, I think they've pretty much run their course and it is sad but you know what i, I think it's 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 time. You know a triple-A game that's not being made by Konami? Uh, literally all of them. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but one of them in particular that people are starting to get worried about, sounds like it may be handled in a Konami form, is Star Wars Battlefront. Uh, you know, I didn't even care about Battlefront games at all up until this, and now I'm, like, kind of a little worried. Well... Yeah, I mean, we, the worry was kind of on the, the wall ever since EA and DICE were making it just because of their history with what they deliver on day one. And this is, this is still in rumor form. So if you're listening and you're, you're taking this as as serious notes, you know, just calm down a little bit, but this is something that you probably are expecting anyway. It's, it's, it's purely speculation, but it's something that you should definitely keep in mind. Alpha, alpha testers of battlefront are coming out and saying that this game is a hideous mess. It's having server problems it's having uh, general game problems. It's one of those, it seems like it's being rushed. The, the alpha tester is saying it feels rushed for the holiday release of the next Star Wars movie, which is coming out in December. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's being rushed to push this out so they can sell more copies. 
And this is from uh, a NeoGAF user named uh, Alucio. Uh, credit to him. So this guy could be it could just be a random NeoGAF user spreading hate and discontent. But I don't think knowing Dice's and EA's history that anyone would really be surprised if any of this is true. No, no, I don't think so. And now, of course, apart from the fact that it's mostly speculation right now without any real way of backing it up, you also need to take you know anything that you get out of an alpha test with a sufficiently large grain of salt because it's an alpha test and by their very nature, there's going to be things that are horribly fucked up because that's the point of testing but if any of what alucio is saying is true this is beyond simple things that an alpha or beta test would be for um you know he's he goes so far as to say that you know considering the fact that the deadline for the game is actually in a matter of weeks at this point um given how close the holiday season is coming up uh, there are still like major issues in the game, connection problems being one of them, which in and of itself is huge considering this is an online game in the first place, um, that have not been fixed to the point where even a day one patch won't fix everything. So this has me a little worried. Uh, this is also, and this kind of feeds into what our main topic discussion today is going to be as well, but this just goes into why generally speaking i don't tend to pre-order things and Mm -hmm. the general sentiment with this game especially with this news coming out is don't pre-order it uh wait and see and you know let let the early adopters because there's always going to be them let them get in there and see how this thing turns out and then maybe, you know, throw your hat into the ring if you think that it's, you know, decent enough or that you can at least deal with whatever issues are there. But I would not be buying into this, like, sight unseen because... Or or lesson learned. Hopefully this might be the game that sells people, hey, EA games, don't buy them day one. <laughs> Activision days games, don't buy them day one. Wait for them to fix their problems. You know you're getting a broken product out the gate. Why these people continue to buy this shit day one, even if they don't pre-order it, it, it is fucking beyond me. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we're going to see the usual, you know, gnashing of teeth and bitching and whining on every internet forum that exists as soon as this game mm-hmm. comes out because everyone's going to act like they totally didn't see this coming when really... <laughs> Everybody should have fucking seen this coming. Oh my god, I can't get it. The matchmaking doesn't work, and the connection to the servers are down, and it got hacked by Lizard Squad again, and I don't know how this could happen. Well, yeah, you do, because it happens all the fucking time. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm still excited for this, but I'm, I'm gonna give it some time, and, uh probably at least a few patches, and let them get things figured out, and then if it's, if it's at a place where it's you know, worth the purchase, then then I'll think about it. Now, if you are interested in getting Battlefront and you wanted to get it with a shiny new PS4, Xbox One, and you wanted to get it bundled, and it was a digital version, you're not going to be picking that up from GameStop. You are. S-O-L, son. Well, if you want to go to GameStop. Yeah, which you probably... Anyway, um, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so GameStop has come out and said quite unequivocally that they are no longer going to be selling consoles that have any digital games bundled with them which is a fair number of skews nowadays actually that's one of the big ways that you know the companies push their their uh, consoles is bundling them with digital content 
and uh, they're not going to buy into it. Well, that's, that makes sense for the companies because it's going to save them money. They don't have to bundle together a, a physical copy, even though it doesn't cost that much. It's still another cost equation they can take out of their comp- major companies. Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft are all doing it. And they probably would all prefer it that way. Well, uh, I mean, well, hold on, though. Like, would they really? Because... No, no, no. The, they want digital copies in there, not physical. Oh, they they don't. They probably don't like this from GameStop. Oh, okay. I thought you, I thought you were like saying they were on board with GameStop to say that doesn't make oh. any sense. No, they want digital. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and, and I, this is, this is interesting to me because all this really comes across as is GameStop trying to forcibly move the market in a direction that's going to prevent them from dying a slow, horrible death, because. Mm-hmm by not selling these consoles that are bundled with digital content, they're of course trying to force the hand of the market to continue with physical media because that's their really, that's their bread and butter. Like, I mean, GameStop's CEO even came out and, you know, said that consumers prefer physical bundles because they know the disc has value in the GameStop trade-in program. It's like, well, uh, no, do they, they? That's not really why they like. That's not why they like physical copies of things. Um, that's not at all why they like them, because I don't know. I don't buy old video games that I can't trade into GameStop because I can trade them into GameStop. <laughs> buy them because I like having physical copies of games. Because if my hard drive, God forbid, gets wiped clean. I can still play those games once I get a new hard drive. I don't have to download them if the, and don't have to worry about servers going away where I'd have to re-download them if I happen to want to play them ever again in my life. So that's the reason why I like physical copies. And you you, nail, you hit the nail on the head right there. GameStop's doing this so they can continue to have inventory mm-hmm. in the future. They continue to recycle product back to the consumer. This is how they make their money. It's how they're going to continue to make their money. And uh, they're they're trying to future-proof themselves, and they're not going to be able to do it. Uh, we, we both have talked about this at an extent. Uh, the, the, the future is digital. It's only a matter of time before an all-digital console is accepted. And it's, it's going to start with these Steam boxes, I think. I think they're going to be relatively big deal oh. but games it's also a possibility game, that the nx as we were saying might might be one of the first major consoles if any of the the rumors prove to be true yeah it very well may be um or it could be another system nintendo's doing they might be doing something like the psp go if you look at the screenshots uh, it could be a multitude of things mm. but if they, if they want to survive what they got to do is they got to go into the retro market and they got to do it right but doing so they would have to close down a lot of their stores and they would have to compete with the, the, the local retro game stores in every single community uh, that have well-established uh, people who shop at their stores. I think they could do it if they go that route. Uh, if you know they, they can keep the prices lower and stuff like that, but they won't because they're greedy and they're GameStop. And they'll continue to be – I won't call them a cancer because I do like buying used games because – I mean I even bought a couple of used games from them this week uh, for like nothing – but this is definitely to keep physical. This is definitely a key inventory. It's nothing more, nothing less. Nah, yeah, and and to me, this just this is just re- history repeating itself. Because, like for for instance, when I was in college for for a while, I worked at uh, a video rental place, and mm-hmm. you know, back when that was still a thing, and um, 
like I could, I could see it then that that was happening to that industry with the advent of Netflix and, you know, uh, Hulu and even Redbox, um, who still deal with physical media. They were trying everything they could think of to stay afloat in a market that was moving in a direction that was inevitably going to leave them behind. And I see the same exact thing happening with GameStop now where they're, you know, basically 100% reliant on physical media and that is being phased out. And so they're trying everything they can to stay relevant. prolong prolong their inevitable demise and and yeah, and stay relevant. And and for what it's worth for right now, they're kind of accomplishing that because, you know, according to GameStop's COO, Tony Bartel, you know, he revealed that the company had actually successfully renegotiated a deal with Microsoft, Sony, and EA to offer free physical copies of Madden when uh, bought with either a new PS4 or an Xbox One. So they're pushing very, very hard to get these things to happen. So one last thing about this, though, that actually I'm a little confused about. I don't know if maybe this was clearer to you or not. Part of this story also suggested that Bartel had told the publishers that if they were to continue offering digital packages, that he believes that GameStop customers could start to see more physical bundles from third parties. What exactly does that mean? Does that mean he's like, third-party games bundled with consoles is that what he's getting at i yeah so like let's say that a a company wants to try and get their game out there i don't know why it would make sense for a third party to do that other than just get all their games into circulation and get word of mouth about how good it is when people pick up the system but i think that's what he means is like they'll start working deals with gamestop to bundle like make gamestop bundles with games. Yeah, see, that you're right. I don't think that makes sense because if it's a first party title, they're basically throw they're eating the cost of the game in order to get you to buy their console. But if it's right. a third party, they have no vested interest in selling a console apart from it being a thing that you could play their game on. I mean, that would I mean if I was Sony or Microsoft to be like, okay, cool, third parties can bundle whatever the fuck they want to with our systems, we don't care. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I just I don't see how that's like a solid argument on GameStop's behalf. Like it's almost like they're trying to threaten the publishers with that. And from a publisher's perspective, yeah, I'd be basically like, um, yeah, so do it. You're selling our console. <laughs> exactly. And there's a little bit of goodwill, but because I think more gamers do like physical content, but we all see what GameStop's doing. We're not stupid. Do you like voice acting in your video game, Shane? You know, I do. I, I can't. It's been so long since voice acting has started in video games. I really can't remember games that didn't have voice acting. Well, I, I really can. I'm just kind of being facetious. However. Great. Good story. <laughs> cool story, bro. <laughs> anyway. Uh, video game voice actors may be going on strike in the near future, trying to negotiate contact, uh, contracts, and uh, on behalf of, I guess, is like SAG. They have their own SAG or something like that. Yeah, it's a SAG-AFTRA. It's like their division of it. So they, they, they have some uh, demands that they want video game publishers to meet, and some of them is they want like insurance or like hazardous pay if they have to scream a lot or to protect their voice while doing voice acting. Uh, they want, I think, health 
protection or insurance for when they have to do like mocap or they have to move around when they do voices and it may involve them being potentially in harm's way or potentially hurting themselves, like kind of like stunt pay or uh, stunt whatever. And the third one is they want residuals based on how much the game sells. Mm -hmm. I kind of look at those not knowing the voice acting industry so much as, uh, okay, I don't understand. Being tra- treated like they're doing stunts when they have to yell and scream and everything like that, I think it's kind of silly, but I don't know the industry. It could be completely valid. Um, well, I mean, I, I, so you, I think you have to kind of look at it this way, right? Like a lot of these things that they're asking for have already been a part of the contracts with screen actors for quite a a long time now, actually. Uh, Are we talking about screen actors, voice actors, like act- voice actors for digital movies? No, no. I mean, uh, like, like animated movies. No, no. I just mean like actual actors. Like they're sort of drawing a parallel here because actual actors, not just voice actors. But that's completely different. Well, but hold, here, I mean, well, on. hold on. Hear me out, though. So okay. <clears throat> part of the insurances that screen actors have had, um, I mean, part of the reason that you have stunt doubles is because the, the actor is their you know, in a large part for their acting skills, but also because they're the attractive people that sell the movie. Right. So you you don't want to damage the goods, basically. That's why you have a stunt double. So I I know what you're getting at here with the voices. Right. Exactly. Like Like, that's their selling point is their voice. So if you're going into a job that is going to require you to do a voice that is going to be potentially harmful to your vocal cords or something like that, then there needs to be something in place for that. Because right now, there isn't. Well, that's why I said on the surface, it's rather silly, but it could be completely valid. And, and I think to a certain point, sir, the residuals, I think it depends on how much they're going to be a- uh, asking for when it comes to uh, how much they're going to get based on how it's the sales, how much more they should get. If they're asking for like a small raise, I'm talking about a really small raise. I think that's valid. But if they're talking about significant pay raises, I think you start to encroach upon how valuable they are to gaming. Uh, I mean, yeah, if it's something crazy, I, I, I honestly don't think that they're going nuts with this. I think they're really just trying to bring up the voice actors contracts to a level that it probably should be because the last time that any of this was really negotiated or discussed was the original agreement that was even made. And that was in the mid nineties and it really hasn't Mm -hmm. changed since then. So uh, I think this is more of just a necessary update just because the, the environment around it has changed so much in the last almost 20 years well, actually, not oh. almost. It is twenty years. It immeasurably has changed. That's uh, immeasurably. Yeah, that that I don't think the the legal the legalese around this whole thing is really holding up so much anymore, or at least it's not as relevant. Um, and as far as the like performance bonuses they're asking for, it sounds like they're pe- being fairly reasonable with it, and they're proposing four basically major sort of uh, milestones for the payouts that voice actors mm-hmm. would like to get. And it's at two, four, six and 8 million copies of a game either sold or in the case of an online game, um, that many millions of subscribers. Now you think about that. Mm-hmm. That's not really crazy because not every game sells like 8 million copies. But again, it comes down to how much they want because yes, does every game need a voice voice acting now? Yes. But do we really care who's doing the voice acting or how good the voice acting is? 
Rarely. Uh, well, like, I, maybe not who. They got, they because got like of, I they couldn't got, tell you like uh, with mm-hmm. with a few exceptions like Will Wheaton or something. I really couldn't tell mm-hmm. you the names of like a bunch of major voice actors. So maybe not the who necessarily, but the quality, yes. Like I, it's very painfully apparent when a game has terrible voice acting. I mean, we all know that. What I'm saying is, it's easier to find. I, I'm going out on a limb here, but I'm going to think that's easier to find scabs in the voice acting industry that can do a good enough job as opposed to finding scabs in the the, the Hollywood industry to do the same job that we expect out of our Hollywood actors. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that. Yeah, you're, you're probably right. When people go to movies, they go to see the actor a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. Unless it's a completely unique and different movie. When people go to video games, they're not they're looking for the gameplay. They're looking for the, the, the atmosphere. They're, they're more billed as who's making the game rather than... that. We, I don't really give a shit who the voice actor is. I don't. But when I go see a movie, I can tell you, like how the acting experience is going to be by who's acting in it. Right. The game experience isn't my, my, my opinion on the game experience isn't going to change by knowing who the voice acting actor voice actors are. Yeah, no, that that's true. That's true. So, I mean, they're perhaps in a little bit more of a precarious spot with that than yeah, their leverage is probably not that good. Yeah. But for, like I said, for what it's worth though, it seems like there isn't anything like completely unreasonable that they're asking for here. Um, I, Unless, and I haven't seen anything, so by the time this goes, you know, goes out to listeners' ears, things might have changed. But I, I don't really see a reason for a strike to actually occur. Like this, this all seems pretty straightforward. Yeah, they'll figure something out. Yeah. Now, here's something that I was surprised about uh, when the first Prometheus movie came out. There's a lot of questions of how it would link to Alien. Now, Ridley Scott has come out. I think you originally said that there wasn't going to be a link for like two or three movies in the Prometheus timeline. Well, that's probably going to change considering that there's been a new title change to the movie uh, for the Prometheus sequel. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't think anybody really saw this one coming. I know I didn't, but uh, no. it, it looks like the sequel is actually going to be entitled Alien colon Paradise Lost. So we're just skipping over all that talk about maybe in the future, and we're just going straight to, yeah, no, this is Alien, guys. This is Alien. By the way, it is Alien, and it's the colon is, uh, you know, the grammatical symbol. It's not Alien colon Paradise Lost. I mean, I, I would hope that most people would have figured that one out on their own, but... Just in case, make sure. just in case, there are in fact no alien colons that we are aware of. Well, maybe. At least not I mean, right now. Maybe, maybe they poop. Maybe, I mean, but... there might be colon bursters. I don't know. <laughs> there might, there may be alien shite. <laughs> and in the case of alien shite, then we might have alien colon paradise lost. Mm, colon paradise. <laughs> colon paradise. But, um, you saw the first Prometheus. Uh, you saw Prometheus, correct? Uh, actually, no. <laughs> Oh, you have not? I did not, mostly because of, like, the sort of mixed reviews that I got from people mm-hmm. that went to see it. I just never ended up bothering. And I can understand that it's 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 a pretty good movie, but it's at the same time, it's it's rather pretentious. It's, it's tied very heavily to the Alien series in terms of names and what they're doing and stuff like that, but it still tries to separate itself whenever it can to kind of be its own thing. Mm-hmm. It is a good movie, and you could tell that it really tried hard to connect to alien while while being independent 
the fact that they're going straight to Alien Paradise Lost doesn't really surprise me too terribly. I just didn't think they're going to be that open and say, hey, sequel Prometheus is Alien. I did not really see that coming, especially because they, they're they coming out with another Alien movie in the future, too, really soon as well. Uh, Yeah, so Alien 5, which was the, supposed to be the next one, that's that already... Uh, that got bumped for the Prometheus sequel uh, anyway, and there hasn't really been any word about the status of that movie as of right now. So uh, that coupled with the fact that the sequel is going to be actually named straight up Alien um, sort of leaves the future of that fifth installment very unclear. Whatever, whatever you can tell is that the Alien franchise is, is getting a much, much needed injection of relevancy. Something that has pretty much been mired in uh, questionable quality since Alien 3. And has kind of been holding on to its cult following. And they, I feel like they finally got rewarded with Alien Isolation. I think now with that coming out and these other two movies coming out and the focus on quality... We're finally going to see the alien experience people have been waiting for for years. I mean, I'm I'm hoping so because even though, as I said, I haven't actually watched Prometheus, the things that I've heard about it, like the fact that the biggest thing that I ever got from anyone about about that is the the running joke now of the Prometheus school of running away from things. <laughs> ah, like there's a lot of running away from things. Well, in that well, movie. specifically the scene with the big wheel where if they had just run to the side they could have avoided it and fucking didn't <laughs> and one got crushed yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do you get crushed by a giant wheel <laughs> when all you have to do is run left or right the fact that that was the thing that really stuck with enough people that that's the only thing i know about the movie is slightly concerning to me um but yeah i, I haven't finished it yet but for what it's worth, Alien Isolation is probably the best Alien installment that has come along in years, and it's not even a movie. So, hoping for some better things, but um, I guess we'll have to see how this turns out. You know who's hoping for better things? Um, Jon Snow. Oh, okay. I, I was I was going to go with uh, Egret, but that, that also works. That, that works, too. But Jon Snow's probably hoping for better things because he's dead. Or at least we thought he was, and he still may be. But he has been cited. Kit Harrington has been on the set of Game of Thrones for season six, uh, spotted dressing up as Jon Snow and carrying a sword around, looking all important. Now, he could just be cosplaying and, and trolling <laughs> <Yeah>. everybody. <laughs> I would um, love it if that's actually what it was. So you know, Kit Harrington, he just he just likes to dress dress up as Jon Snow in his free time while they're filming Game of Thrones and probably just annoy everybody by saying he's going to slay White Walkers. But um, I think there's there's pretty much everything's been confirmed that Jon Snow is is coming back in some form or fashion for season six. Uh, so everyone that got all upset at me by saying that Jon Snow is going to die when I didn't know he was going to die, I was just trying to piss everybody off, can go suck it. Well, I mean, you succeeded in that, so congrats, I guess. <laughs> but So the funny thing about all this is I'm actually wondering if he's really going to be back, like as in a, you know, a a soap opera, like he's not really dead thing. Or if it's maybe he's just there for flashback scenes. That's a possibility. Um, I would also be okay with him coming back as a White Walker and wreaking vengeance upon his once friends. That would also be amazing. But um, him being on the set 
it's sort of like in a kind of stark contrast, no pun intended. Ha ha ha. <laughs> okay, I lied. Actually, the pun was completely intended. Yeah, that, that hard emphasis on the word start <sighs> was not intended. Uh, <laughs> I, got, I got that. Uh, it's in complete contrast to what the HBO president had mentioned. He didn't know when, when the when the season opens, he's not he's going to be surprised with the rest of us, of course. Um, sure. I mean, come on. You can't kill every major important character off. Listen, don't say that because... <laughs> George R. R. Martin just takes that as a challenge. Like that's that's yes. not going to help at all. <laughs> he probably he probably names each character after a food item that he goes to buffet, and if he happens to eat it, then well, that character is going to die this season. Ah, because <laughs> if there is a shortage of anything, it's George R. R. Martin fat jokes, <laughs> and we have got them right here. Yes. In a related but slightly tangential topic, um, I'm also mm. really excited that Ian McShane is going to be joining the series because he was fucking amazing in Deadwood, and mm. I can't wait to see him in this. They don't, we don't, we don't know what role he's going to play yet, but um, his his character of Swearingen, Al Swearingen in Deadwood, was incredible. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. And also, oh, Chris, you, you should watch Deadwood. Just saying. I should watch Deadwood. I have not seen Deadwood. Thank you for knowing that I have not seen it. I just assumed, actually. But uh, <laughs> speaking of things that people should watch, Doctor Who yes. uh, is having a fairly major departure happening. Uh, Jenna again, again. Uh, Jenna Coleman has officially announced that she is leaving the uh, BBC series Doctor Who. <clears throat> so her her character of Clara Oswald, the monster battling school teacher, will in some way or another make be making an exit uh, from the show. And as of right now, she is not really sure who is going to replace her or how that's going to work. Um, but apparently the conversation has been going on for a while. Uh, as far as we are aware, her contract was actually up at the end of last year. And it's yes. sort of like got extended due to some talks between her and um, Stephen Moffat, I believe. So uh, I personally have not actually caught up to this point in the show. Like I'm actually still working my way through uh, Netflix on Doctor Who. So this isn't quite a huge yeah. thing for me personally, but I know that it is for people that are up to date on the show. I'm not really. I, I've been watching the most recent episodes. I heard that the end of the last season. I haven't seen it either. Um, it kind of took her out of the show, but then brought her back real quick. I, I like. I said I need to go back and watch it because of her contract stuff. I didn't. They didn't know if they were going to bring her back or not. Uh, she's been an okay assistant. Uh, she seems. I don't know. I think other ones have been better. I, I don't think she's. She's definitely not one of the best of the of the newer ones. A lot of things I've seen, I, I kind of want. I want another assistant that's that doesn't like like the doctor, that isn't kind of in awe of everything he does, and is like somewhat romantically attracted to the doctor. I, I, I kind of appreciate more of that. Kind of like what they had with Donna. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just gonna say that actually. That sort of um that dynamic between the two of them actually i think worked really well and i will say mm -hmm. i personally fucking hated donna in the beginning because her character was incredibly aggravating but the way that the character evolved and the the counterpoint that she brought to the doctor's character 
um, really ended up becoming something that I enjoyed a lot. Now, Missy acts a lot like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, 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 the time lady. She she is she seems to be this this kind of counterpoint to what the doctor does and, and is always kind of giving him shit, which is cool. But I don't know. It just seems like uh, Clara Oswald has seems a little bit of an assistant that suffers from the helpless assistant syndrome, mm-hmm. which is they always she always seems to be getting into shit and the doctor always has to find a way to get her out of it, which, of course, Donna did, too. But, like, the doctor would kind of come and rescue her, and she'd be like, you know, what the fuck took you so long? (laughs) (laughs) I could have handled this on my own. You know, I don't need your ass, but she does. And uh, this is more like, doctor, please help me. It seems like that all the time. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, I don't need a damsel in distress uh, in Doctor Who. Now, she hasn't been terrible. I mean, it hasn't been that obvious or bad. She's had her moments and all that good stuff. But she's she's been holding it down. Uh, I'm still trying to grow on this new doctor, even though he's had a whole entire season. Granted, I haven't watched it. Uh, he's definitely interesting. I'm not sh- quite sure if I even really like him yet either. Yeah, I I mean, as I said, I haven't gotten this far into the show yet, so I can't really comment on him specifically. But I thought it was an interesting choice that they went away from the like obvious, you know, fan service Tumblr bait sort of doctors, <laughs> which is really right. what they have been to, um, something like Peter Capaldi, who is almost the exact opposite of all of that. So uh, it was an interesting choice. Um, I'll be curious to actually catch up and see how that plays out. I don't like the fact they got rid of the sonic screwdriver. Oh shit. They did. Yeah. Now it's a pair of sunglasses. Oh man. You are already making me not want to watch this. <laughs> That is not helping at all. Well, that wraps up our major news stories for the week. Before we get to the main topic and talk about the pre-order culture and what it's done to video games and how we view video games and how we purchase them, we have a little segment where we go through our shorter news segments uh, where we're going to briefly talk about things that have happened throughout the week that we don't consider major or maybe we do, but we just don't want to hit out very very briefly and we call this segment The Flight. First up, Call of Duty Blops 3 uh, is going to be shortchanging players uh, who are on the older version of uh, the console. So if you own a PS3 or an Xbox 360 and you're looking to buy this game, be very aware that you are not getting everything that is advertised. Yeah, I mean, there's not going to be any more campaign for Blops 3 on previous systems, nothing like that. It's just going to be multiplayer. Hey, look. Games are over with. Uh, the, if it's previous gen, my best recommendation is you need to move the fuck on. The only reason I could see getting is PlayStation 3 because you don't have to pay to play online, but that's about it. Tim Schafer came out recently and talked about how Psychonauts almost killed Double Fine in uh, terms of finances, how they kept on having to run out of money, and then Majesco came back, picked it up as a publisher, and pretty much saved Double Fine from there on out. If it wasn't for that, there'd probably be no Double Fine today. A little interesting tidbit from the time with Psychonauts. Yeah, um, it's it, these are always interesting to see, you know, when you get a little inside view on, on how things turned out, and, and you get these stories pretty often where, you know, a, a developer is just starting out, and they say, like, ah, shit, man, we had a shoestring budget and i had to charge shit on my credit card to make payroll and stuff like that and um it's it's definitely interesting to see how one of probably one of the greatest pc games ever made in my opinion almost didn't happen um so we're thank you tim schaefer for maxing out your credit card we we all appreciate that you uh you went out all Still gotta play for that one <laughs> 
Uh, Mighty Number no. 9 gets a release date again. Uh, so it's going to be coming this February. Uh, 3DS and PS Vita editions, for those of you that actually own a Vita, um, <laughs> are still without release dates. Um, I, again, this one, as we all know, I think at this point, if you've been listening, it's really, I, this is not on my give a shit a meter. Um, I think Chris cares a little bit more about it than I do. But uh, it's getting pushed back again because that's what happens. And then that demo they said they were having is not happening yet. And we don't know when. So, yay. I'm beginning to think Mighty Number no. 9 is, describes the amount of delays it's going to have before it gets actually released. Hey, look. Ah, you got it. You got You got to think about how Concept is kind of really ruining their fans' goodwill. I've completely almost lost all interest in Mighty Number no. 9 leading up to this. The fact that you screwed over the people that put so much money in your campaign by not giving them a demo on September 15th like you said they would and continue to provide excuses why this game's not getting done, continue to get defensive about what kind of quality you're providing, and continue to not give back to the people that made this possible, shows you what kind of company Concept and KJ Inafuni may be. Just beware of any future products that may be coming out from them, because Mighty Number 9 is definitely a black stain that's going to haunt them for quite some time. The NFL is going to be making their own Twitch streaming service so they can provide you a video game show where they discuss Madden. This is odd and unique, but, you know, I'd hate to say I didn't see this coming, but I, I'm going to say that I did not see this coming. I, I, I will say I did not see it coming either, although... Uh, you care a lot more about football than I do in so much as to say that I don't really care at all. And But I still find it an interesting thing just because if, if not for the actual thing itself, more of what it says, which is that video games are just becoming more and more integrated into everybody's sort of like everyday life. It's becoming a more common thing and... And I think that, generally speaking, that's good. I would be curious to see how this thing plays out. I mean, it's a show entirely dedicated to talking about uh, the Madden video game series and more specifically the, you know, the latest release that'll be out and tips and tricks and stuff like that. And apparently, in a way, they're going to be integrating this into the actual NFL and what's going on. So... If you like watching NFL and you also like playing Madden, then this is pretty much right up your alley. And on Twitch. And on Twitch. Xbox boss Phil Spencer says that uh, he finds the console war debate, in his own word, distasteful. Uh, for for what it's worth, I, I would agree with him. But he, he's always been sort of the one, and this sort of frames his character in the public space, as the the more affable sort of um, level-headed sort of mediator type of guy. Like, he never really has stepped into that uh, us-against-them thing so much where he sort of sets up the, the, the white flag and the peace treaty between, you know, himself and Xbox and PlayStation and, and, and other folks. He's always been the first one to step up and congratulate people like Nintendo and on the things that they've accomplished and things like that. Um, you know, I gotta agree just because I don't, I've never seen the point in the argument. It really ought to be about the games, right? It should be about the games, but what Phil Spencer has to realize is that kind of building that divide, especially in this generation, is almost essential. Considering that there are very little exclusives between the two major platforms being Sony and Microsoft, and, uh, the only one that really isn't part of the console wars is Nintendo, just because they're lagging so far behind and their console is so underpowered that it really can't have the same games that those other two consoles have. You have to provide a reason for why people should buy your console. 
And if they own your console, they're not going to get the other one in this generation because there's not enough exclusives to differentiate it from the other one. So, yes, is there a console war? Yes. Is it unfortunate the way they act? Yes. Do I wish it was a little bit more cordial? Of course I do. Is that going to be the case? Never, because people can be stupid. And uh, it's gone like that since back in the Genesis days. I've been part of it. A lot of people have been part of it. Sony versus, you know, Nintendo versus Sega. So uh, Nintendo versus Sony. Sony versus Microsoft's been going on forever. There's a part of us that has to kind of cheekily embrace it, but there's a part of us that has to realize that these are brands and they don't give a shit about us, so we need to relax. All right, Skylanders, IGN did a total of how much you would have to pay in order to experience everything in Skylanders uh, Superchargers, and that is... It is hilariously awful. It is terrible. Uh, If you get everything, if this is assuming you have starting out with no Skylanders, if this is your first Skylanders experience and your kids want to unlock everything in the game and complete it, you're going to have to pay $630.63 in order to unlock everything inside this game. Your wallet and cry. (laughs) Yeah, this and like you could get away with a much, much cheaper investment. But as Chris mentioned, the game is structured in such a way that there are literally gates like they have actually just literally gated off content to where you can't get to it unless you purchase certain expansions or certain figures that unlock these things. So if you really want to get your money's worth out of the Skylanders game that you buy, you're going to be dropping several hundreds of dollars. Now, if you are one of those people that want to get literally everything and we know you're out there, there are roughly about 130 Skylanders that exist right now, and they MSRP at somewhere around $13 a pop. So that plus the games and everything else, you're looking to shell out about 1500 bucks. Dropping that kind of money on a game is insane but if that's your bag man then you know you're the ones that are keeping these people afloat so more power to you pull the lever (laughs) fucking konami (laughs) it's not it's Uh, activision (laughs) i know but i just take every i take every opportunity to say fuck konami because i think it's worth it Let's go. All right. Assassin's Creed Syndicate is the uh, first to introduce a transgender character into the series. Uh, The name of the character is Ned Weinert, and he is a trans man that who is going to be acting as a supporting character and quest giver to the player. Now, the exact nature of their connection to the story and what role Ned is actually going to play still remains unclear. Um, with this announcement, Ubisoft has stressed that they are working towards being more inclusive in their approach to game design, providing better and more options to represent what they call the diverse array of people who play their games. I personally don't disagree with this at all. I think diversity is a great thing, although I do have to say I have to wonder whether this why this was done because right now it sort of just reeks as a marketing ploy and i hate to say that because realistically we ought to be at a point where these things are not a major news topic right like that's where the end goal is for everybody that these things should not be a major issue it should be just as normal as the stoic white guy that is in games now so part of me has to wonder if this is just them shoehorning a character in to try to sell more copies. Cynical, I know, but 
I just can't shake that feeling. I don't think it's in there to sell more copies. I just think it's because of a lot of uh, debate that's going on right now about gaming not being more inclusive and all that stuff like that. Hey, look, I'm all for including uh, minority characters and minority interests and all that stuff like that in video games. I really don't care what they put in my video game as long as it's centric to the plot and doesn't harm creativity towards the video game. I'm very much on you at the same page. Like, why are you making a big deal out of the fact you're having a transgender character in this game, especially when they sound like they're not even a very big piece? And even if they were, is it there because they just wanted to include a transgender character, which makes them a prop, which should be more offensive to people who are transgender? Or are they putting it in there because it has significance to the story It's going to make the game's overall plot and atmosphere better? I think it's much more on the former that they're putting it in there to kind of kowtow to uh, social interest groups and that they're trying to get attention by saying, hey, look what we're doing. We're so inclusive, which is kind of just using transgender as a way to kind of prop your series up, which is more disingenuous, I believe, to transgender people than just making one and not making a big deal about it. So Junji Ito, indisputed master of horror in Japan, was one of the collaborators for Silent Hill. First of all, just tell me really quickly who what Junji Ito is uh, associated with. So Junji Ito is uh, well known for his horror uh, manga that he did, and it's it's been a huge uh, inspiration for a lot of things, including to a certain extent the Silent Hill series. And <clears throat> the fact that Guillermo del Toro came out very recently on Twitter and sort of posted some artwork from some of uh, Junji Ito's work and just straight up said that he was a collaborator on Silent Hills was just like completely out of nowhere. And not only that uh, was just yet another reason why all of us Silent Hill fans are so disappointed that this thing never happened because not only do you now have Del Toro as well as Kojima working together on a new Silent Hill title, but then to get someone like Junji Ito in there all of these things were lining up to make this probably one of the best horror games and one of the best Silent Hill games probably ever. And the fact that it is now gone just makes it that much more painful. Hashtag fuck Konami. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and that concludes the flight. Remember to post hashtag fuck Konami because fuck Konami. Seriously. But that brings is going to bring us into our main topic uh, for the week. And that is we're going to be talking about pre-order culture. And uh, in our show notes, I wrote it down as the toxicity of pre-order culture and what it has done to the video game industry and what it has done to consumers and the just absolute absurdity that a lot of these companies are doing when it comes to pre-ordering games, how they're giving consumers content, how they're limiting content from consumers, just the whole mess of what's been happening uh I can't say even since when it feels like it's been going on for so long, but is definitely getting fully exploited. And we briefly touched on last week with the Deus Ex uh, augment your pre-order campaign that they have going on right now. I, I suppose we should probably preface this conversation by saying that the the idea of a pre-order once upon a time was not the terrible, evil, very bad thing that we're making it out to be now. There, as with most things. There used to be a very legitimate reason for why you would have a pre-order, and that was because of product scarcity. Back when things were not digital like they are today, if you really, really wanted a copy of a game that was going to be very popular, then it may have been in your best interest to put in a pre-order at a retailer so that you could secure a copy come release day if you really, really cared that much about that game. 
that to a certain extent still holds up today, but not nearly as much. And the original meaning of the whole system has essentially been lost. And a big part of that is because I believe uh, the sort of like digital revolution that we've had over the last several years where scarcity, product scarcity is not an issue anymore. When you are selling a digital product, you cannot say, oh, I'm sorry, we only have this many of them because you can literally just fucking sell more. Like you're basically just selling an activation key to software that already exists. So what does that mean then? What it means is that publishers and developers are trying to find a way to, much in the same way that GameStop is gasping for air, they are trying to grab onto anything that is going to keep that pre-order money rolling in. Because for them, this is an excellent business proposition. They have consumers paying them straight up cash for things that they don't have to even give them yet. And it is basically sight unseen. There are very, very few other industries where they can pull that kind of shit and get away with it. And um, they're doing their best or worst, depending on your viewpoint, to make sure that this pre-order system continues. And I don't know about you, Chris, but I would say that in more recent uh, years and in fact even months some of the things that have been going on with pre-orders and the pre-order culture I think is going completely against (laughs) I think what their intended goal is Uh, first of all I've never understood people who pre-order a digital copy of a video game Uh, I have yet to grasp that concept I I, I would even say I, I fail to understand a lot of the the ideas behind things like um like early access games i guess they would kind of fall into that same line i i can understand a little bit more than pre-ordering but when it comes to early access you're never guaranteed that the full game will ever come out so i think Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of absurdity to that where a pre-order is if that game never comes out you kind of get your money where early access is kind of a little bit more absurd and it's a little more uh insidious when you really think about it uh, I, for one, I've pre-ordered games for as long as I can remember. I think one of the first games I pre-ordered was, it wasn't even a good game. That's the sad thing about it. Uh, the, fir- the first game I remember pre-ordering was Lunar Dragon Song. That I pre-ordered with my own money. It was the, the, the one that came out on the DS. And it was garbage. But I've never really had an issue with pre-ordering. I, I pre-ordered uh, Xenoblade uh, Chronicles for the Wii. Mm-hmm. And... It came with a it came with a limited edition art book. If you pre-order it, no big deal. I pre-ordered Kirby's Dream Landing coming uh, the collection for the Wii. I pre-ordered The Last Story. I pre-ordered Pandora's Tower. Uh, I currently have uh, two games on pre-order, which is Shovel Knight and uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X. Now, one of the things that I view of pre-order, I kind of touched on this last week as well, is I kind of treat pre-order as a layaway. If I if I know I'm going to get the game day one. And I know I want that game day one right off the bat. I know I really want that game. I don't see anything wrong in in getting a pre-order and paying the full price and paying it down. To day one, I can pick it up and and leave the store with it. That's fine. Uh, I would never do that for a digital game, though. That is just... That's stupid. And where it gets worse is when I pre-order a game, 
I don't want to be told if I don't pre-order it, I'm going to be missing out on content. I don't like mm-hmm. being told that if I don't pre-order a game at a certain location, I'm not going to get the same content as if I went to another location and pre-ordered that. And that's where I think we're starting to get to, especially with major AAA games, that like I could go to Best Buy, and if I pre-order at Best Buy, I'm going to get certain uh, skins or certain DLC or certain character missions that I'm not going to get at GameStop or uh, Toys R Us or... Uh, wherever else they sell video games nowadays, because I don't really get new games that often. But that that whole entire notion is ridiculous, and it, it's disingenuous to the consumer. And I know you have a lot of information about how disingenuous this is when, when you look at games like Watch Dogs, when they had so many different packages, but not everything was all-inclusive, and every single time you upgraded to another package, you would gain some more stuff, but you would lose some more stuff that were in previous packages. And it's... I don't know. I don't know how consumers are, are, are honestly putting up with this shit because I know I'm certainly not dealing with it. No, no. And and that's really the problem that we've come to at this point is that the whole thing has just become incredibly shady. And, and, and yeah, so you bring up Watch Dogs as an example. So for those of you that aren't familiar or perhaps even those that are, up until this whole debacle with the Deus Ex augment your pre-order shenanigans, um probably arguably the craziest and most asinine pre-order system before that was for watchdogs um it got so bad that it was complicated enough that it required a spreadsheet to actually figure out what content you were going to get with which version of the game it totaled out to about nine different versions of the game that were up for pre-order and two of the most expensive versions, um, the dead sec edition and the vigilante edition not only came with separate physical, uh, content, the dead sec edition had the Aiden Pierce statuette, who was the main character in the game. And the vigilante edition had actual replicas of his, uh, face mask and hat. But if you, went like you know balls deep on this thing and got one of those big like sort of collector edition versions of the pre-order they didn't include any of the digital extras from what arguably could be called the lesser versions of the pre-order so this goes against any and all sense and logic where traditionally if you were to buy a you know, a special edition of a game or an extended edition or whatever you want to call it, you would get not only everything that all the previous versions had, but also more cool shit that, you know, the other unwashed peasants weren't getting. Uh, but in this case, you actually missed out on stuff for getting what is actually a more expensive version, which makes literally zero sense. And, this is just one of the more like prominent examples of how completely convoluted and toxic this whole thing has become. And as Chris has already mentioned, that is really one of the major issues that I've always had with pre-orders is retailer exclusive content because there is no way that you can argue that that is a benefit to the consumer because it's not. It's a very bare bold-faced way of gamifying this whole thing to force people into either having to choose which most people most rational people do 
and inevitably lose out on the other content that you could have gotten that they decided to chop up and use as pre-order incentives. Or what they're really hoping for is the crazy ones that go and pre-order all the copies so that they can get all the content. And I unfortunately know for a fact that this happens. And it's it's insidious. That's the only like word that I can really think of for it. There's there's nothing there's no regard for the people that are purchasing this content. It's purely a way to try to uh, get that sense that you are missing out. I mean, that's to a certain extent, that's what free to play games also sort of base their whole model off of is, well, you know, you can play this for free, but if you checked us a little cash, you could be like the cool kids and you could have this really sweet ass sword and or you whatever. Win better. Yeah. But I mean, so, you know, there's the retailer exclusives, which I have always been completely against because it's insane. But just the notion of content being carved out and set aside as pre-order incentives, even if it's not dealing with the retailer exclusivity, is still a major issue in my mind. Because there was a time when, you know, a pre-order was literally just like, I really want this game, so I'm reserving my copy. That's it. We're done. There was no other bullshit surrounding it. It was just, I like this game enough that I want to pre-order it and make sure I get it on release. And there wasn't anything else that was like almost obviously cut from the game to incentivize you to pre-order it. You just got your game, you had everything that was in it, and it was done, and you were happy with it. And now it has gotten so bad that, you know, you are completely missing out on not just like aesthetics like you know golden guns or but entire fancy missions. pants They're like entire but yeah, missions enti- yeah entire quests or missions in games now are being reserved for pre-order bonuses that you may never actually see if you didn't pre-order from you know x retailer and, and that's insane it's completely insane i mean imagine like a call of duty game that the only way you'd be able to play the zombie mode was if you'd pre-order the game it's definitely getting to that point where, you know, developers are going to stand by and they're going to be like, well, you know, you're still getting the main game, the main campaign. We're still going to stand by our consumers to give them what they want. We just want you to know that you pre-order it. You're going to get this this mode that uh, that is popular to people who play this game. But don't worry, it's going to be coming to everybody soon. But if you pre-order it, you're going to get a certain amount of time that you're going to be able to play it and no one else will. And that is so just... I can't think of anyone, anything that's done that so far. I think that what we're looking at is at Deus Ex, is Deus Ex, the next Deus Ex game that's coming out, that's actually openly doing this. is saying, here is a mission uh, on, like, Tier 2. So if you get enough of your buddies to pre-order this game, you're going to get an extra mission from pre-order. This is a choice. You can get, like, an extra mission or some, like, stupid little trinket. Yeah, now it's, it's gotten to the point now where they're not even really trying to hide it. And no. Well, what I, now, what I find disturbing, I, I've had my train of thought from earlier, uh, mm-hmm. there's something I do find slightly disturbing, is that there are people that um, herald in Kickstarter... And talk about how great Kickstarter is for a lot of these games that have been coming out. You know, there's a lot of people trumpeting uh, Mighty Number no. 9 when it launched. You had the the people that, you know, hailed uh, Ukulele and Bloodstained. And um, a lot of these other Kickstarter projects that, that came out 
and uh, there's a lot of motion for to get completed. And they have a lot of these pre-order bonuses too. Um, and essentially what you're doing uh, to varying degree is when you go on Kickstarter and you help them back and one of the returns that you get on your backing is a game. And you look at different tiers of Kickstarter and not every tier of Kickstarter you get the same thing. Essentially, Kickstarter has become a pre-order program. Now, I've, I've also heard people that heralded the, pre, the, the, the Kickstarter stuff. Some of them have come back and said, you know, Kickstarter has to be careful. That doesn't just turn into a giant pre-order program. But I, you have to know that companies are paying attention to what Kickstarter is doing and how they're successful. And oh, of course. The, the, I mean, the entire thing behind this uh, Deus Ex Augment Your Pre-Order crap with Mankind Divided, that is a giant indication that like Square Enix was paying attention to what's happening with Kickstarter. They're just doing it with saying, hey, we're making a game that's definitely coming out and we're releasing it, but if you do this Kickstarter type of stuff, we have Kickstarter type of tiers. And more, I can see more and more companies being like, well, if we structure our pre-order and provide tiers like Kickstarter does, much like Square Enix does, if this is successful with Square Enix, then now you're talking about the entire consumer base when it comes to video games and pre-ordering being completely screwed over and this is a culture we are definitely getting into yeah and but see the fundamental difference between those two that i i don't think some people are seeing is or at least the publishers are hoping that they can sort of gloss over is that you can't just transplant the kickstarter model to a pre-order for a game that as you said is like already gonna be made because the whole idea for the Kickstarter tiers was that, you know, okay, like the stretch goals. That's kind of really what they're shooting at here is stretch goals. And mm -hmm. with Kickstarter, that is, okay, guys, this is the base amount of money we believe we need to make this game. Now, if we get more money than we hope for, these are the stretch goals that with that money, we yeah. will be able to create additional content for you. These are, that, we can, these are additional things we can do with the money. Right. And that is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That works. But However. 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 When you go and try to transplant that system onto a game that is 100% like definitely coming out – and then you are, you're not saying, okay, guys, if we get enough money, we're gonna make this for you. When you're saying, okay, guys, if you give us enough of your money, we'll let you have this shit we already made. Yeah. That is a very, very big difference that well, they're hoping people are not going to notice, but we are. We, but it, we can see it. And at some point, you gotta hope that the pre orders don't become Kickstarter. Um, I think that's what a lot of people worried about with Shenmue 3 is they mm. thought that the game was definitely going to come out no matter whether or not they backed it. And they just wanted the, this additional money so they could kind of hold all this extra content hostage and say, well, if you give us all this money up front, then, yeah, we'll have this extra stuff that you want in the game. But if you don't, you're not going to get it. Oh, and this game's, you know, this game's getting backed by Sony anyway. So, uh, yeah, it's. This depends on you guys how much money you're going to give us. And that's where you got to be careful. Red Ash did this uh, with Concept. Mm -hmm. Remember, they they didn't really announce it, but you had to have the feeling, the way it fell through, that they were going to get published by that Chinese company. Either they, way. They, they, they had probably known that before they even launched the Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, they knew that was going to happen. They still launched the Kickstarter. So essentially, they went into it doing kind of the same thing, treating Kickstarter as a pre-order for the game. 
and using that and using additional content is kind of the motivation to try and tell everyone to go and get it. It didn't work out for Ed Ash. They people saw through that, and it worked for Shenmue. Um, but people had really, really scrutinized it. It wasn't as it wasn't as what I said. It didn't. It wasn't as it appeared. But man, did Sony really create a mess for Shenmue Three, and it made it look like it was part of that really dark, that really greedy, insidious pre-order culture. Yeah, and so I mean, I think really to sort of tie this all together, uh, what we're trying to get across here ultimately is that the pre-order system once served a valid purpose and it no longer does for the most part. The one caveat that I will say, and this is as I have mentioned in previous episodes, the the thing that I stick by is the only time that I will pre-order a game is if it's a collector's edition that comes with physical goods that I know that I want. Which And the last, most recent one of those was Fallout 4, because I really like that collector's edition. I like the Fallout series. And the only way, apart from hoping to find one on eBay later, to get the replica Pip-Boy and the stuff that are going to come with that is to get the collector's edition. That, to me, still makes sense because it is a physical item that I want to get that I could not get otherwise. How do you feel about this? I mean... (laughs) I know we're kind of, I know I'm kind of rambling on a little bit, but back in 1998, 1999, whenever uh, Lunar Silver Star Story Complete came out, uh-huh. if you pre-ordered the game, you got a demo disc for the game. And when you played that demo disc, you were able to save the game and transfer that save data over to the game when you purchased it. Okay. I mean, that's... I mean, I don't think that's horrible. Like, there's, it's not like, that's the thing though. It's a demo, and that's something that kind of like already, like, it's not, that wasn't content that they like cut out of the game to try to get you to pre order. No, it's not. So you don't, so you're not against like, in order to play a beta, you have to order to pre, they're like, you have to pre order the game. Uh, I mean, that's, mm, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting one too, because, I mean, we're, you're almost going off onto another whole topic of beta testing there because that has sort of like well, uh, the, lost its meaning to a certain extent too. But. The way I kind of view it is, is there is, is like there's a quid pro quo here. You pre-order our game, we're going to give you something. Right. Do, do you see any issue with that? Because, I mean, I think that's a lot of the issues people are having other than, you know, cutting content or just providing all these different packages that not everyone is getting and making people – you know, scramble for all these different stuff in order to make more money and get more pre-orders. But these kind of incentives have been around forever. I mean, uh, Lunar 2 had the Punching Puppet Galleon. You know, Mass Effect... I don't think Mass Effect... Mass Effect had some... I think they had some of the space missions if you got, like, the special pre-order package that came at GameStop that you could buy online with you got the, the online pass and all that shit. Games have had a lot of pre-order bonuses in the past, physical or digital, that you could get well, beta I- testing. Sure. And I, I guess to now that I've had a moment to think about it, I suppose the beta testing thing doesn't bother me. I think really if you're going to like drill down to what it is that I dislike and that I will not buy into as far as pre-orders go is when there is uh, content for a game that is very clearly being withheld for the sole purpose of trying to sell pre-orders. That's what bothers me. So I think that that pretty much concludes our discussion today. 
uh, about pre-orders. I'm pretty sure we didn't cover every base, but if you have a comment on pre-orders and why you believe pre-orders are bad, or if you have a horrible pre-order story, I'm sure plenty of you have some from GameStop, from our listeners, or uh, any other location. Just not want to single them out. Um, you know, please email the show at uh, podcast at retrohangover.com. Uh, leave a comment on our Facebook or Twitter page. Um, Facebook, of course, is Retro Hangover Podcast, and we are at Retro Hangover on Twitter. So please feel free to comment, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes, which, you know, just, just pretty much make us part of your podcast. And uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we're going to try to make this more regular thing. I know it's kind of been up and down because of my personal life stuff and um, hopefully Shane, your personal life stuff, uh, coming up here, uh, we, hopefully we can keep it regular, but I mean, you've been helping me out the past month and a half, almost two months. So I will definitely, uh, do the same for you, but we, you know, it's, it's good to be back. It's good to be recording. It's good to have this podcast going. Well, Hey man, listen, I mean, we are, we're just two dudes recording the podcast. So if, uh, you know, when real life happens, uh, unfortunately that, that takes precedence. So always. We, we may not be as consistent as some of your more professional productions, uh, but we, we're trying our best. So uh, if we can get that content out there as we can make it, then that's that's uh, that's the best we can do for you. But uh, real quick, as a, as a bonus round. Bonus <laughs> round. Here are some of the uh, most useless and worst pre-order bonuses you could have ever gotten from the past. Here we go. Infamous Second Son, glow-in-the-dark condoms. Need it. Dead Island Riptide, a really distasteful, dismembered female torso bust. <laughs> Super Street Fighter 4, Thumb Fighters. Hey, that's Resi- pretty cool. <laughs> Resident Evil 5, a fucking snow globe. That's awesome. And Donkey Kong Country Returns, a banana-shaped pencil case. What's wrong with that? You could put it in your pants. <laughs> That's right. Pre-order Donkey Kong Returns, and you can stuff your pants. <laughs> you can uh, have Donkey Kong-sized cock. <laughs> <laughs> but that just goes to show that uh, not pre-orders are not only uh, just always like insidious and terrible things to try to get your money, but sometimes they are just really, really bad and not worth your time. But having said that, uh, until next week or uh, whenever it is that we can get this thing out there on the uh, on the digital airwaves for you. Mm-hmm. Um, enjoy your time and uh, happy gaming. Oh, by the way, a free free retro hangover podcast subscription with every pre-order to uh, Shovel Knight. That's right. Get in on it now. Limited time only. <laughs> Have a good week. Hey.